What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Week 7 edition of the Weekly Cheese. The Packers, while sporting their beautiful 1950s throwbacks, take care of business against the Washington football team. Take them down 24 to 10. A lot to get into. Some some guys really stepped up, especially on the defensive side of the ball for the Packers. Get into all that, plus the ultimate Stunod of the week. Last week was the most cringy Stunod of the week in Russell Wilson. This week, I don't know if there's ever been a bigger Stunod in the history of the Stunod of the week. So you got to stay tuned for that. So much to come on this week seven edition of the Weekly Cheese. Super Bowl! Super Bowl! Super Bowl! Super Bowl! Super Bowl! going on everyone welcome back to the weekly cheese i'm your host joe ivan here with packer mike mike how are you joe it's good to be here i'm ready to talk some packer football yeah let's get into it the packers they take down the washington football team 24 to 10 they were sporting the beautiful 1950s throwback nicest jersey i think i've ever seen in my entire life those jerseys were just so beautiful I think it was a few years ago when we visited Lambeau together and we went through the Hall of Fame and we saw those uh, the mannequins hanging from the, the ceiling with all the different jerseys and we spotted that uh, that dark green and yellow one and we said, wow, like they should be wearing those immediately. And lo and behold, this year we, we broke them out and I'm hoping it's not just a one-year one year thing. I'm hoping we stick with them and maybe – put those things on again this year that those are beautiful well yeah interestingly enough i i was always on, under the assumption that teams could only wear those once a year due to the fact that the packers only ever wore the acme packer jerseys once a year because they were not that nice like why would they really want to wear those tan pants like that <laughs> but i get home from from your house after watching the game and and my mother says to me that she read that they could wear these dark green ones up to three times this year so yeah. there's a chance they break them out. Uh, technically, I think they're not uh, the throwback. I think they're technically the alternative jerseys now, or however the NFL wants to classify it. But, yeah, I think uh, even with the um, Thursday night game coming up here, I'm not sure if they're still doing the color rush ones. We might be wearing the all-white. But I certainly want them to bring back the those 50s jerseys again at least one more time this year. They were beautiful, and all the players absolutely love them. If you went on social media and Twitter, you could see – Basically, every player saying this jersey is going to be one that gets framed. I well, mean, yeah, I mean, beautiful. Aaron posted on his Instagram story probably like 15 separate photos of like all of them wearing. Like, you yeah. just tell they felt fucking The team cool looks amazing, them. and you can go through the pictures from Evan Siegel. That's his name, right? Yeah, the, the Evan. Pi- the pictures on the website of the team, they the, looks fantastic. He's a great photographer, that guy. He gets yeah. such cool shots of them, and... In action, but the Packers they extend their record to six and one, and they now have a three-game lead in the division. And after the game, Aaron said it himself: it hasn't been pretty, uh, but that is what is exciting. And he said that they have not played their best ball yet, and they sit there six and one. Yeah, it's great. It's a great feeling to be six and one. And 
like you said, to not even put out our best performance as a team yet, uh, and we're still here at six and one is great. They have a lot of potential, a lot of room to grow and get even better. Especially with all the guys due to come back in time. Aaron, though, had a phenomenal performance. 27 for 35, 274 yards, three touchdowns. He was accurate and efficient, despite the fact that he was under pressure quite a bit, especially in that first half, and he threw the ball around the yard. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers looked great today. He had that one uh, run to start the game for the big first down, and he gave the little celebration. You could just tell like this was going to be another Rodgers day. He was locked in completely uh, accurate when throwing the ball all around, 27 for 35, like you mentioned. Yeah, and great game from Aaron Rodgers. you love to see it. Yeah, and it was great to see him get the ball to all – Every receiver. I mean, it was it was a reception party out there. Devontae, six receptions, 76 yards, a touchdown. Lazard, five receptions, 60 yards, and a touchdown. Cobb, three receptions, 22 yards. So it, it, he was sharing the wealth, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, it was great to see because uh, he completed passes to seven different receivers, if I'm not mistaken. And um, for uh, all the media members out there just saying our offense solely relies on Devontae Adams as the f focal point. Well, he is, but this shows that there are other receivers that can get involved in the offense. Yeah, it was, and it was put on full display on that drive right before halftime. The Packers marched down the field, score a touchdown right before half, go up seven. And Alan Lazard caught all five of his passes on that drive alone. He had five catches, 60 yards two third down conversions on that drive and he capped it off with a touchdown. Yeah, I'm really I was happy to see Lazard have a big game like he did. It was time he was due for if I mean if you want to call five receptions for 60 yards his breakout performance, but it was easily his best game of the year so far. He was really involved with the offense. It felt like he was involved more than just those five receptions. Uh, he was out there in a big, big way. Well, he's always out there blocking. Like he's such a primary blocker on this offense. That teams, it's everyone seems to forget that Lazard is a viable option in the in, in the passing game. And Aaron was talking about it after the game how uh, on that drive, it's not like he had Alan Lazard in mind, but right. the the way the matchups were, uh, they were really doubling Devontae Adams a significant amount of the game. And Alan Lazard was the the matchup that Aaron felt was the one to target, and he was the beneficiary on that drive of. Some, some adjustments that Aaron made. Yeah, it's going to have to be different players week to week stepping up when Devontae's seeing as much double coverage as he is now. And like Matt LaFleur said, he was happy for Lazard to get that touchdown and get the recognition of how hard he's working in the blocking game. You know, he said Lazard's always out there busting his ass, and uh, he was happy that he was able to get in the end zone to you know, get the recognition that he deserves. Yeah, it's, and, and it was great to see, and that's what the Packers need. I mean, with Devontae Adams being doubled, and these teams just seem to be running a cover two basically all game against the Packers, uh, it, someone else needs to step up because if, if other targets could get open and make plays, teams aren't going to be able to comfortably double-team Devontae Adams the entire time, and when he gets that single coverage... You see what happens. I mean, that catch he had on the sideline in the fourth quarter of that game, it was one of probably oh. the only times he had a single coverage on the entire day. Aaron gave him a 50-50 ball, and after the game, Aaron said, there's no such thing as a 50-50 ball with Devontae. <laughs> he always has the advantage, and he made 
spectacular grab. Yeah, Devontae Adams is just a beast. You saw six receptions for uh, 76 yards and a touchdown. But, like, again, with him, it felt like he was just more involved with that. He's, he's everywhere. The connection with him and Aaron Rodgers is just dynamite. And Devontae Adams, what can you say? He's the best wide receiver in the NFL. That man needs to be locked up long-term by the Green Bay Packers. There's a lot uh, of things. Discussion for another time, but Devontae Adams is the best wide receiver in the NFL. He, he really is. And the Packers also got quite the performance out of both of their tight ends on National Tight End Day. And before we get into the spectacular games that Tunyon and uh, Mercedes Lewis both had, I mean, they were both targeted quite frequently throughout the game. We were talking about it before we started recording the episode, and you brought up that you can't stand National Tight End Day. What gives? I really can't stand it. It's annoying me to no end. I think it's a narrative that needs to be buried six feet under and left there permanently. Um, so it's it was this thing. It was started by George Kittle, first of all, in my opinion, stupid. Um, <laughs> it, so National Tight End Day, okay, whatever. Uh, and yeah, so they go on there, and it's uh, NFL Network pregame. It's the postgame coverage. It's during the games. No one can shut the hell up that it's National Tight End Day. And I'm just thinking, this is stupid, and I want to stop hearing about it. And yeah, I well, couldn't. I couldn't stand the coverage of National well, Tight End Day. What bothered you so much about it? Is it the <laughs> fact that as an offensive lineman well. yourself, you, you like? <laughs> I th- that's the question I had. What where's the national other days? You know, like if uh, anything, yeah, there should like, be a national offensive line week. Do we need a national wide receiver day? A national middle linebacker day? I heard someone say like, all right, where's the national interior left guard day? Yeah, like, well, I I, I want to see uh, some talk about the uh, national long snapper month. <laughs> you know, the entire month where we celebrate I, the long snapping position. It just makes it's weird that the tight end is being highlighted like this, but I guess it's just no. due to the fact that they want their due respect. They feel they've been disrespected for years. No, it was something that was created by Kittle as like a little gimmick, and it was supposed to be funny, and to me, it's just being jammed in our face, like nonstop, that, hey, this is really funny. No, <laughs> it, it's, it's not. It's stupid, and I... I hope that they do away completely with the National Tight End Day mockery. Well, hey, I I could get on board unless they start highlighting some national other days and start highlighting. Because, if anything, there deserves to be a National Offensive Line Day. Those guys get absolutely no recognition. They're never in the box score. The, the, the average fan doesn't even know the offensive linemen's names, let alone anything about them. Like, so... They deserve the national day, not the tight ends. Everyone knows George Kittle. He doesn't need a yeah, day I'm, I'm sure there are other uh, football fans out there who are just sick and tired of hearing <laughs> about what, what is this bull, bull crap with the made-up national tight end day that they will not stop talking about, like ad nauseum national tight end day. Like, all right, it, it was never funny. It wasn't funny when it's jammed into your face a hundred times and uh at this point i i, I didn't I'm even know see i was introduced as national tight end day not even as something that was supposed to be funny i was introduced to national tight end day as it was something we were celebrating yesterday like seriously <laughs> i like i like, <laughs> just i don't know just due to all the coverage that was given to it i thought it was just like a 
Like I had never heard of it before. So I, was like, I guess it's National Tight End Day. I thought it was something we were celebrating the I way it was being talked about. So disgrace. The way they were talking about it, you would have thought it was Thanksgiving or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was a disgrace. Well, let us know what you think of National Tight End Day in the in the comment section below if you uh, happen to have an opinion on it. Let us know because. It's something new, and I wonder if it's going to be an annual thing. Please reach out to the Weekly Cheese on Twitter if you are disgusted, as I am, with the with the um, over-coverage of this holiday that needs to be, like I said, buried six feet under and, and left there to rot, never to be heard from again. <laughs> hey, I, I could get down with that. I could get down with that. Again, unless we start talking about other position groups but uh, putting that aside rob Ta- bob tanyan and mercedes lewis were were phenomenal on sunday tanyan four receptions 63 yards a touchdown finally got back in the end zone after a, a five-week drought and mercedes lewis the big dog big dog what can you say he is so tough he he runs so hard there was one play where they called the whistle early and he was still rumbling down the field and I, I was annoyed that they blew the whistle. It was, yeah, he did. It was get... apparent that that guy was being taken for a ride on <laughs> yeah. the Lewis train. Yeah, the, the he was riding the back of the big dog. For real. Like when a toddler gets on top of a Doberman. <laughs> it was just... <laughs> really? But... Like, it's he, that guy's not going to be taken down with... Uh, it was... Uh, uh, number fifty-five, the guy, the line linebacker with the long hair for uh, oh, the Boz wannabe, yeah, yeah that maniac. the guy who was just like flying around and his throwing his body around like a rag doll, and uh, it was it was apparent that guy was not taking Lewis down by himself. So and Mercedes Lewis has been catching balls every week. It seems. I mean, yeah. for a guy who for two seasons basically caught one or two passes a year. He he's come alive in the passing game and he is barreling through it's, defenders. It's so interesting to see because I remember his first season when he was here, it was uh Mike McCarthy's last year and I just remember at the end of the year it everyone was so disappointed cuz he ended with like literally like under maybe under 10 catches and it was like we didn't get anything from Mercedes Lewis, and then you see him come back, and Matt Lafleur just use him the right, yeah, way the right way as a blocker primarily, and then getting him out on those little screen passes. I mean, and letting him rumble down the field, and that's what you got to use Mercedes Lewis like. So, and the guy doesn't drop a pass; he catches no, everything. No, I mean, I remember being so excited when uh, we signed him for McCarthy's last year, and then. Uh, People saying he didn't pan out, but McCarthy was not using him the right way. And now you see LaFleur schemes him up like this, lets him go out there and He's a captain. Be, be the big dog. Yeah, and he is the big dog. It couldn't be a cooler nickname. Like, yeah. LaFleur didn't even talk, say Mercedes in the in the postgame. He just said the big dog. Like, you can't say enough about the big dog. He said, and that's how he left it. It was just so badass, dude, Mercedes yeah. Lewis. And the Packers had a phenomenal performance in the passing game um and it was in particularly impressive to me just because the offensive line struggled significantly and the Packers could not run the ball to save their lives I mean Aaron was constantly under pressure and they had no aid from the, from the run yeah. game uh the Packers ran the ball just 15 times for 57 total yards as a team and the biggest run of the day was a jet sweep to Equiminia St. Brown it's fun. Yeah, I was gonna. We didn't mention EQ or Randall Cobb. 
Uh, Cobb had three receptions for 22 yards, and uh, his connection with Aaron Rodgers, like even if it's just a few receptions throughout the game, he picks up critical first downs. And then, like you mentioned with EQ, yeah, like it's interesting to see that he's out there and playing more now. Like he got the jet sweep, yeah, handoff, and uh, took it for the first down. But yeah, EQ. He's he's been he's been playing well the past couple of weeks. He put together two solid performances, Equimania St. Brown, and with Merquez Valdez Scantling on the sideline, someone else needs to get involved, and it's good to see yeah, EQ. We should step mention up. it's uh, Mar- Marquez Valdez Scantling was eligible to come off of the injured reserve two weeks ago at this point, I believe. So they're really taking their time with his hamstring injury and uh letting him rest up. I mean, with the way he plays just being a downfield you know burner like that you don't want him to come back and re-aggravate his hamstring too early so yeah we're still waiting on mvs unfortunately yeah uh, he'll he'll be back and when he comes back the packers off is just gonna open up that that extra layer that they have with the deep ball is just gonna open up uh aaron jones six carries for 19 yards he got involved in the past game a little bit and aj dillon Probably the worst game of his career. I mean, three carries, six yards, and two fumbles. One yeah. loss. Yeah. Uh, bad game. Bad game for A.J. Dillon. It was funny. I heard a great point by one of my favorite Packers of all time, John Kuhn. I was listening to him on the uh, post-game report, and he said the reason that Kylan Hill got the first snap and the reason they were trying to work in Kylan is because they were trying to keep – Aaron Jones, his his body fresh for this Thursday night game, quick turnaround. They said uh, the game plan was to limit Aaron Jones' number of touches, and that's why you saw Kylan Hill in on the first drive. And then Dylan, he said you would have seen Dylan get more involved, but again, he really did not play well. Uh, Like the two fumbles on – Two out of his three carries were fumbles. So It was a really rough performance for A.J. Dylan. I'm I'm expecting a bounce back. He, he's not a, that type of player. It was an anomaly game. But it was really due to the fact that the Packers' offensive line could not handle the defensive front of the Washington football team when trying to run the ball. I mean, on the interior, Lucas Patrick and John Runyon totally lost the battle against Jonathan Allen. John Allen had a monstrous performance. He's having a great year. He finished the day with two sacks, three quarterback hits, and I believe now he has five sacks and probably – 30 pressures on the year. Oh, yeah. I mean, that guy's really good, but that's the type of players we're going to see deep into the the season when we get into the playoffs where mm-hmm. they're going to have stud defensive lines like that. And, yeah, Washington, I, another point Kuhn made was that he thinks this is the best front four, like, of uh, encompassing all four of those players. Like, if you think about it, they had uh, Montez Sweat, Chase Young, Jonathan Allen, and another a few other guys working in there. So they were a good front four. And uh, the Packers, the O-line, I think uh, pass blocking uh, struggled early on, but then they made some adjustments and uh, sh- uh, shored up the pass blocking there. Yeah, they did. They were able to settle down second half. Aaron started getting the ball out a little quicker, and, and they were able to move the ball. The first half was rough. John Runyon, I uh, have to say, w- as well documented here at the Weekly Cheese, we are a John Runyon Jr. podcast. We love the guy. Uh, we're two of his biggest fans, but rough game from Runyon. That's that first half particularly, he gave up those two sacks. But after that, he settled down, and he held his own in there. Uh, 
do want to highlight one thing. Billy Turner. The edges were solid. Jenkins and Turner were solid. And he, Billy Turner got the best of Chase Young. Chase Young uh, could be seen whining and complaining oh my God. on the sideline about the hands to the face on it from was, Billy. It was ridiculous. The amount of complaining that comes out of Chase Young, for as good of a player as he is, he's always there like complaining about something or this and that. And it's like... Come on, man! He's always limping off with something and uh, making yeah. a scene. He got put, he was complaining about early in the game. Like the he hands had, and face. He was like doing something with his <laughs> eye, really yeah. dramatic. Yeah. Well, okay. We should say the starting line. We had Jenkins left tackle, John Runyon Jr. left guard, uh, filling in for Josh Myers again at center was LP Lucas Patrick, uh, the guy who <laughs> Larry McCarron really highlighted in his, this week's rock report really went off on Lucas Patrick he he struggled today but uh, then you got rounding out the right side you got uh good old Royce crazy man Newman at right guard and Billy Turner at right tackle overall i think uh Jenkins and Turner played played well at the tackle positions uh Billy had that one i i think it was bogus that one penalty i mean the guy he literally grazed his uh the inside of his helmet and his helmet came flying off like buckle up your chin strap a little harder dude. yeah so yeah. anyway i i mean I'm, I'm an offensive lineman i'm always going to give those guys the benefit of the doubt there i think billy turner and jenkins played great but then when you go into the interior uh john runyon jr had his weakest performance of the season there were several blitz pickups that he blatantly missed uh miscommunication with him and Lucas Patrick but and then I think Royce Newman is the better of the guards I mean he he's big he's tough he's got the long greasy hair that you want yeah. out of your lineman we, that uh, that gives him the edge that it, hairdo gives him the it edge gives him the edge there's something about that the grease in the hair that just helps him just gives him that little extra that he needs on the o-line to get it done and uh yeah I mean this o-line is going to be so so dominant i think once we have myers and bakhtiari back because mm-hmm. here the countdown to bach is is hit it's, it's hit it's zero. zero it's, it's hit over. zero but uh matt lafleur made a good p- point and said that the this past monday was bakhtiari's first practice in 10 months so you got to give the guy a week or two to get up to speed he'll be back at left tackle soon then you can kick uh jenkins in to guard Hopefully we get Myers back at center soon. His knee injury was just a sprain. So um, this offensive lineman, is, uh, this offensive line as a total, arrows pointing up for this O line. It definitely is. The, once Bach gets back, whenever it is, everything's going to open up because then the Packers will have Elton Jenkins back at that left guard position, and they'll be able to run the ball a little better. Uh, they they really will. Elton Jenkins is such a dominant run blocker at that when he's playing that guard. And the Packers are going to need to be able to run the football because it, not every week they're going to go up against such a abysmal secondary. I mean, the Washington football team's secondary is so bad. Um, yeah, I mean, they had and, a guy, and his name was Corn. Yeah. And he was their starting <laughs> corner. So. Yeah, they had a guy named Corn, and, like, really, they were playing that cover two, and their front four was doing their job. They were not allowing the Packers to run the ball, and their, their secondary just could not handle yeah. Aaron Rodgers and the aerial attack, and it's not going to be the same that that way every week. So the offensive line is going to need to come ready to play and play like they have. And yeah, uh, I'm thinking probably not this week for Bakhtiari, but then uh, 
once we play the Chiefs, I think he'll he'll be back. Yeah, it would be great to see. Now let's get into the Green Bay Packers defense on Sunday. I mean, defensively, the Packers got after Taylor Heineke and they were able to force turnovers. I mean, they really were the epitome of a bend but don't break defense on Sunday. They gave up 430 total yards. Washington made six trips inside Green Bay's 30-yard line, and the Packers did not force a single punt. But due to the fact that they were able to come up with timely turnovers and step up their performance in the red zone, they only ended up giving up 10 total points. Uh, They gave up three points in the red zone, had two goal line stands and an interception while backed up in in their red zone. Mike, what did you see from the Packers' defense on Sunday? This was easily the best defensive performance of the season, I think, so far for the Packers. Like you said, definitely a bend but don't break defense. They let up a lot of yards, but they made the crucial stops when they needed to. Uh, I think the game would have looked and felt a little bit differently if Heineke didn't make a boneheaded play and basically you know like fall fall into the end zone when he could have easily sauntered in uh and so that if you want to look at it like in that perspective the defense probably you know they let that up but then they responded in a huge way with that goal line stop so we're gonna get into that that was it was interesting the Packers defense on Sunday because all season long the Packers have been great for the middle 80 yards of the field, but as soon as teams were able to get the ball into the red zone, they were scoring touchdowns basically with ease. The Packers were abysmal in the red zone to start this season, but they were top five in in total yards given up. They've given up the fifth fewest yards in the league up until Sunday's game. Um, But it was complete opposite on Sunday. The, the, The football team was able to get as many yards as they wanted. They were driving down the field every single time, but when they got backed up, the Packers' defense stepped up, and it started with, like you said, when Taylor Heineke uh, made that play. He didn't have a horrible performance, Heineke. 268 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He had 10 rushes for 95 yards. That's the that's the one area the Packers' defense really needs to be better. They, they were letting him run, and if this guy was a better athlete, he could have maybe had like 150 yards rushing. I mean... Imagine if that was Lamar Jackson. Well, Tyler Murray coming up like, this week. Exactly. Like so that that really is concerning. It that is. And he was able to get that much. That's a theme with the Packers d- defense. I mean, Justin Fields was able to do the same thing basically. He, he got most of their yards with his legs. Yeah. Um so but on the second drive of the second half, Taylor Heineke was able to march on the field. He got down the field in 11 plays and on third and goal he became the ultimate stunad of the week. Taylor Heineke, what he did on Sunday on this second drive of the game was perhaps one of the most embarrassing chain of events that I could have ever seen in my entire life. Uh, he disgusted me with his action. He he scrambled on third and goal, and as Mike said, he could have pranced into the end zone yeah. uh, on his feet he could have walked in <laughs> celebrated on uh, his feet <laughs> did whatever he wanted but no he he got scared the adrenaline was getting to him and he slid to the ground a yard short his knee hit he gave himself up and he did not score the touchdown but he thought he scored the touchdown and he acted like a buffoon he did a lambo <laughs> leap 
the whole friggin' game that they're the, uh, John Vilma is talking about how Taylor Heineke is a Brett Favre fan and there's, how, all right there's another narrative that was extremely overbaked overbaked they, they would not stop talking about how Taylor Heineke grew up a Brett Favre fan he's wearing number four because Brett Favre he wants to have <laughs> Brett Favre moment at Lampfield he throws that touchdown to McLaurin to start the, their, the on their first drive. He just had a Brett Favre moment at Lampfield. They're showing him and then Brett Favre. And they were acting as if it was the most unique qualifier in the world. How many other kids Ex- grew up loving Brett yeah. Favre? Hey, like hey Taylor Heineke, you know who else loved Brett Favre? Everyone. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> Everyone loved Brett Favre when he was the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. He's not special for that. <laughs> no, please. So so it may, it was just so annoying. And to see him then score a touchdown and do the Lambo leap, you know he was thinking about the Lambo leap while he was showing up to the stadium. And he Lambo leaped. And it the, wasn't a touchdown. The Packers fans couldn't have been classier. He had to Class run about man. 10 or 15 yards like diagonally to find one Washington jersey, jumped up there. And I'm thinking if that was New York or Philadelphia, I know they don't have any, any um, – very like admirable touchdown celebrations like our franchise but seriously imagine if there was a a, po- a different like new york or philadelphia and they jumped up there they probably would have shoved that guy down i would have shoved that guy <laughs> down if i was sitting right there that made me so sick and get up the there. packer fans were so cool so classy you know they were just like you know celebrating yeah, like whatever thumbs down yeah or like it was cool to see like the packer fans so classy but yeah like Class get your ass down yeah, so, and, and to make it even worse it wasn't even a touchdown the touchdown got taken off the board he gave himself up too early he was down at the one and personally in my opinion they should have stopped the game right there. <laughs> they should have forced him to walk back up to that Washington football fan, sit back up on the wall, and then slowly climb back down the wall and undo his Lambo leap. Like an adult. Yeah, like an adult. But fortunately for us, thanks to the fact that Taylor Heineke did the the, the, the Lambo leap when there was no touchdown scored. Premature. The... the Inappropriate, premature, and disgraceful faux pas Lambo leap yeah. that was the the Fox Lambo leap. Or yeah, however you say, the, faux, the Lambo faux Lambo leap, yeah. fake Lambo bullshit. He did that, and what did, what happened after that? He woke up the ghosts of Lambo Field, the spirits <laughs> of Lambo Field, all the great. He awoken the ghost of Ray Nitschke because on the very next play. Fourth and goal at the one. Heineke goes to sneak it in, and Ray Nitschke's spirit comes out of the <laughs> from the Ring of Honor, and it zaps into Devondre he, Campbell's he helmet, and Devondre Campbell stuffs him right at the one, b- fumbles the ball, yeah. turnover on downs, and that would happen repeatedly for the remainder of the game. Heineke would get to the red zone, and he would make a mistake, He'd and he would denied. turn it over on downs. He would throw a pick. All because he is the stew-nod of the week. The ultimate stew-nod. Heineke, I lost all respect for you that day. (laughs) Yeah, with that one move, that one misguided and just completely inappropriate fake Lambo leap. You can't even call it a Lambo leap. It It was a wannabe... Uh, he thought he was, you know, had visions of being Brett Favre when he was younger. <laughs> they they did not come to fruition today. Yeah, no. Luckily, 
he humiliated himself on, <laughs> on national television, and it was great to see, and it was what he deserved, <laughs> as he is the Stunat of the week. Taylor Heineke, you played yourself. And the Packers' defense, tremendous job in the red zone all day. Again, they stopped them four for four in the red zone, held them to no touchdowns in there, and goal, two goal line stands for this Packers team and a red zone interception. Uh, honorable honorable mention for Stunat of the Week would be uh, Matt Rule, coach of the Carolina Panthers, who led his team lose to a disgraceful New York Giants football team, and that's all I have to say about yeah, that. Good point, Mike. The honorable mention for sure. If it wasn't for Heineke's blunder, Matt Rule would have been the Stunat of the Week, but Heineke saved him that honor. Ruining many, many parlays <laughs> for many disappointed football fans (laughs) but yeah the Packers defense really did a good job of getting after Taylor Heineke Uh, they finished the day with four sacks as a unit against a Washington football team that has only given up six sacks all season long coming into Sunday's game and they did so without either Smith bro yeah it was really impressive that this defensive performance happened without basically our you could say three of our best defensive players weren't on the field yeah and our two best pass rushers, Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith. Obviously, Zadarius, who knows if he, if and when he'll ever be back. But Preston Smith, unfortunately, was not able to play due to his oblique injury. His 102 consecutive games started streak came to an end. Um, so it was up to Rashawn Gary to step up and wreak some havoc. And that is exactly what Rashawn Gary <laughs> did. Ten pressures, two sacks. Four quarterback hits. He was an absolute maniac out there. Yeah, 10 pressures, and he was getting held. Like, you could see every week. I know that's just life in the NFL as a pass rusher, but this sometimes it's so blatantly obvious. The guy is holding him by the neck, and he still doesn't get the call. So, Rashawn Gary, I was happy he he balled out. And it was interesting because uh, Washington's offensive line – I know they were out. They were without Brandon Sheriff, who's one of the best guards in the league. But they were rated as top top three offensive line in the league, and yeah. only six sacks. Green Bay up all Green year. Bay took it to him. In Rashawn Gary, he was the spark plug. First play of the second half, a strip sack on Heineke. The ball pops out, falls right into Lowry's lap. Oh, it could have been yeah. an interception if not for Rashawn Gary. Stripping that. I was I was thinking it was kind of an interception because the ball flew up and uh, but no it was a forced fumble doesn't matter we got the ball uh, that was awesome to see Lowry uh, just the ball fall into his his belly there and be- beautiful and Lowry himself been putting together a great string of performances yeah. he's he's really stepped up been wreaking havoc in his own right it's great to see Dean Lowry come yeah. up with big plays like that but after the game. Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur both spoke about how much passion Rashawn Gary has for the game of football. And I have to say that passion is palpable when he <laughs> is out there on the field. Like you could you could feel it through the screen. It started last year, week ten, against the Jacksonville Jaguars. That was when Rashawn Gary had his like emergence. Like he brought the heat on that final drive against the Jags last year. And ever since then, he has been a standout player on this Packers defense. And they t- both LaFleur and Aaron talked about how he got the game ball after the game, and if it was anything like draft night, I'm sure it was great 
moment in the locker room with Rashawn yeah, Gary. Yeah, Rashawn Gary's so passionate. I really like him, and he was uh, he was uh, one of or say Rashawn Gary is becoming one of my favorite players now because he won my heart over that one play where he uh, was getting held by the offensive lineman, but he reached around him and grabbed the quarterback and brought the tackle and the quarterback down. So that's when Rashawn Gary won my heart over because he is just so passionate, wants to get in there and uh, sack the quarterback. And and he's relentless. He's, awesome. he's relentless. He, he never stops, and that's why uh, it, it's so important that the Packers have guys now with Preston Smith banged up and Zedaris out yeah. to come in and give Rashawn Gary his his rests because he he puts so much effort out there every single snap that he needs some some breaks and luckily John Garvin he was able to play get some nice snaps he finished with a tackle and a quarterback hit but most importantly Whitney Merciless suited up yeah and he took thirty one snaps it was great to see that well, first of all. Uh, just the team going out and signing Whitney it was such a key move. I mean, we need another pass rusher, and he he wanted to come and play in Green Bay, and that's just such a great sign that he wanted to come here and try to help us win a championship. I couldn't be more happy. I think it kind of went under the radar. The Jalen Smith signing got a lot more pop, but I think this is much more impactful. Whitney Marcellus, you can see he's going to be playing more than Jalen Smith. He is a dominant, or I should say, when he was in his prime, he was a dominant pass rusher. And if he can just just find any of that and bring it to the Packers' pass rush, that would be so huge. He seems to have a lot left in the tank. I mean, he has three sacks on the season so far that he picked up while he was playing with Houston this year. And on Sunday, he had four pressures. And yeah. just his presence out there alone... It was felt. He was gaining push. And he that, was manhandling the guy trying to block him and gaining push. And exclusively on pass rushing scenarios sure. because he was brought in this week. I mean, I was surprised he was even suited up. That's significant for a guy to be, you know, he came in uh, just mere days ago and he's out there. And as you mentioned, thankfully wearing a respect respectable linebacker number yeah, he didn't come in wearing you know number 14 or come in wearing Nine. number it's yeah some some single digit bullshit he's wearing number 50 he's badass old school yeah. Whitney Marcellus he looks Let's great go. in number 50 yeah and and it's it going great. to be great to see number 50 get into that backfield and, and get after these quarterbacks for the next couple of weeks especially once Preston gets back in there yeah and was... now John Garvin is the fourth edge rusher and not the second like he is right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, once everyone gets healthy, the Packers' pass rush is going to. And John Kuhn did say on the post game that if this was a playoff game, uh, he spoke to Preston. He said if this was a playoff game, Preston would have been playing. But they Definitely. said, uh, you know, Preston really wanted to play. This was the first game in his entire career that he missed, 102 games. I mean, that's for a defensive end, that's that's huge. I mean, usually you'll miss a game here and there, but with this would be his like seventh season. He's never missed a game, so – that's awesome. Credit to him. Kuhn said he would have suited up if it was a playoff game. Uh, we need Smith, we need Gary, and we need Marcellus to get something going. Yeah, and, and on Sunday, the Packers' pass rush on Sunday was a, a good example of really how it's been all season. La last week, I referred to the Packers' pass rush as a slow boil, <laughs> that that it was really weak to start the year, but over the past several weeks, they've they've 
really been getting after quarterbacks, and it starts with the interior pressure that yeah, it Kenny starts and with Dean Kenny make. King. It starts with Kenny and Kingsley Kiki is uh, he's making some noise in there. I mean, Lancaster is not much of a force in the pass rush department, but he gets his pressure. And he's he, he's got the bionic elbow yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. He so. asked Flea to, to do him <laughs> up with the exact replica of the Kenny Clark right arm. He has now now had Lancaster has the exact tape job that Kenny Clark has on his right arm, trying to harness that Kenny Clark mojo. Um, but yeah, once Preston gets back in there, um, the Packers pass rush is. Going seems like they're going to be strong all season long. Now four weeks in a row, really, where they've been mm-hmm. wreaking havoc. Kevin King did not play, unfortunately, uh, after practicing in a limited capacity all week long. So the Packers in the secondary had to rely on Eric Stokes and Rasul Douglas, and Rasul Douglas played great. Yeah, I could not be happier with the way Rasul Douglas played. And just to mention uh, to listeners who may not be familiar with Rasul Douglas, he is, uh, he's been around the league. This is his uh, seventh team. He's been on the Eagles, the Panthers, the Raiders, the Texans, the Cardinals, and now the Green Bay Packers. Uh, but the guy is only 26 years old. He was a third round draft pick in 2017. And, uh, Damn, I mean, he's playing so much better than I expected, uh, so much so that I don't see a reason to put Kevin King on the field over Russell Douglas. Uh, That's definitely something interesting that the Packers are going to need to make a decision about. I mean, Russell Douglas, in his second game as a Green Bay Packer, his first start, had a pass breakup and a forced fumble, and he actually finished the day as the Packers' highest-graded defender, according oh. to Pro Football Focus. He had really uh, had a great play on a third down where he broke up the pass, and it was an absolute horrible call on the pass interference. Horrible. I don't know if anyone uh, listening remembers. It was like within five yards, Rasul gave him a little, uh, you know, gave him some contact. It was a horrible call. But Rasul broke up the play on a third down. Then immediately the next play, he comes flying in. He slams the running back. Uh, he got a little stinger, but you could tell like he was pissed. He came in, he came in fast and and hit the running back hard. When he went down, I honestly thought that he had like a compound fracture in his <laughs> in his upper arm due to the, yeah. how excruciating it seemed to have been. He was writhing in pain, but he sh- jumped up and he was good to go. Yeah, we're lucky that. Uh, you know, it was that week where we signed Douglas and Quentin Dunbar, and we were both thinking, like, well, damn. I I mean, maybe if one of these guys pans out and Douglas has panned out in a big way. Immediately. His impact has been felt immediately. Eric Stokes had a solid day of his own. I mean, he did get bested on that 50-50 ball to um, McLaurin, Terry yeah. McLaurin in the end zone on his Brett Fa- on Heineke's Brett Favre play. Kuhn? Kuhn doesn't seem to think that was a bad play by Stokes. As as hard as that may, like, as weird of a take as that may be, uh, he said apparently that the ball was just underthrown and that if it was uh, a better pass by Heineke, he thinks Stokes would have been in great coverage to 
to make the play, but apparently it was such a bad pass that <laughs> McLaurin came back and came early to the ball or, or something like I that. I love that, that was, take by John I know. I, I absolutely love that take by John Coon <laughs> sticking up for Eric Stokes when overall it was probably just a, a bad play by yeah, Stokes. It didn't even look like Stokes turned around, but <laughs> no. you know what? I, I agree with John Coon <laughs> that Taylor Heineke's only Brett Favre-like moment was a horrible pass. <laughs> horrible pass. Lucky play. Yeah, so... Overall, uh, Kuhn thought Stokes played awesome. He said, and if you take out that one play where it was like a weird play with, and they kind of had Stokes like on his own against one of the best receivers in the NFL, and really Terry McLaurin's a great wide receiver, great wide receiver, and Eric Stokes put put the clamp down on him. He did. He had another pass breakup. It was another fourth down pass breakup to boot, and he finished the day with a top five PFF grade as well. I mean. If those two corners are playing like that together, I really don't see a need for Kevin King to to come back as the starter. You made a great point yeah. to start the segment. I mean, uh, they have something to think about with how Russell Douglas has came in and performed. He saw an opportunity to to make some and he sees time that opportunity himself, and he seized it. I, I it's just like interesting the way the NFL works with like he's been bouncing around four different practice squads in the last two years and comes to Green Bay and immediately makes an impact. Uh, we're, we'll get to the linebackers as well, but it's just interesting. And then, like, Devondre Campbell, who's on the bargain bin of free agency, and they bring him in, and he's been a total badass, top-rated linebacker, middle linebacker for PFF. So it's, yeah. just, it's just funny how some of those things work. And, like, uh, and it just it speaks to how great of an organization the Green Bay oh Packers God, are and yeah. how it's a place where yeah. players can go and, and people want to come here it's an opportunity for guys to to perform the Packers don't they don't discriminate if you're a no-name guy yeah. example no. one would be Chris Barnes I mean coming off the street last year starting for the Packers immediately as a middle linebacker I mean where's is Barnes hurt where's he been because Burks was playing more than him and and now we have Jalen Smith it was just it was just a thought I had. You know, Barnes was out there for 17 plays. Smith was impeding on them. But really, the Packers went with... Oren the, Burks, right? Oren Burks was out there for nine plays. I mean, it was really just... Uh, they were in a lot of nickel. And and due to that, I mean, Henry Black played 17 snaps. Wow, okay. Due to the fact that they had all those DBs out there. Henry Black had one very bad uh, missed tackle on a screenplay. But other than that, it's... I think no news is good news when you don't hear about those guys in the secondary. Like, I didn't really hear about Henry Black, but someone we definitely have to highlight is Chandon Sullivan maybe had the game of his career. He was awarded the dagger by Larry McCarron. You know, he got the there's your dagger play from uh, the interception in the end zone he had. And uh, Chandon Sullivan, he... Definitely, probably the best game of his career. Yeah, he's had two back-to-back -back strong games. His coverage has been pretty good in that slots position, and he he did have that interception in the end zone. And what made me really happy for Chandon Sullivan, uh, he posted after the game that it was his grandfather's oh, first yeah. time seeing him play in the NFL, and the fact that he was able to grab an interception and and share that moment yeah, with his grandfather yeah. was great. Yeah, it was uh, either either his dad or his grandpa. I saw. I don't know what the backstory is behind that, but it's interesting. First time we have, we're gonna have to go look and see why that is. But uh, the first time he yeah, saw so. him play live, and he got the interception, and then we saw like you could see on the on the broadcast, he immediately ran over and gave the ball to someone, and then it's cool to know that 
It was a family member of his, and it was really nice to see. But that so group of Stokes, Chan. yeah, good for Chan Sullivan, great game. And that group of Stokes, Douglas, and Sullivan played great, and they're going to need to continue with that that level of play Thursday against the Cardinals. The Cardinals have a very strong wide receiver group, and uh, they're high-powered offense. So whoever is playing for the Packers in that secondary is going to need to bring the same effort. I mean, it was a great performance from the Packers secondary, who's without Jair Alexander. And Kevin King. Yeah, we didn't even mention uh, Jair Alexander. Uh, all reports are that he's progressing well from his AC joint sprain, and uh, he'll man, be back in due time. I re- yeah, I just let let him heal up. I don't even, you know, care if it. Well, obviously, I do care. I want him back as soon as possible, like every Packer fan. But you don't want that guy hurt like long term. You got it. He's the best corner you know, in the NFL. We you need gotta him. Keep him healthy. We need him in in January. We and need Jair Alexander in January. Other injury news <clears throat> from the things I've been reading, it doesn't seem like Zadarius Smith will be playing again this season for the Packers, which is just it's so disappointing that he his only game this year was that week one bullshit Stinker, yeah. game with the Saints. And, uh, you know, we re- really could have used Zadarius Smith as a in the Super Bowl push, but I can um, only imagine what this defense would be looking like if Zadarius was out there making the plays that he's he is known to make. It's a shame, but in a little bit of better news uh, in terms of injuries, Darnell Savage, after leaving last week's game with the concussion and and going through the protocol this week, he suited up and he played every single snap of the game. Uh, he finished with six tackles and a pass breakup, and. And the safeties on this Packers team, that tandem that they have is is really special. Adrian Amos yeah. and Darnell Savage are studs, and they play great together. We're lucky to have those two back there. Amos and Savage are – I can't think of a better safety duo in the NFL off Neither the top of my head. They're, they're so dynamic together. Darnell – He's a 4-2 guy playing safety. I mean, you you never really see that. He is so fast and rangy. He can cover everything. He's a hard hitter. Darnell Savage is so good. The Packers, I think we have him under contract for like three more years, but he, he must be locked up long term. Yeah, and, he, and uh, the, th- he, the thing is he had such a great game, and he, and he still left plays out there. I know he had that one missed tackle that they I ended up Darnell. shedding, but he had a great game, and I love yeah. Darnell. I was wearing my Darnell Savage 1950s throwback, and, and yeah. I was pumped to see him out there. I was really concerned that he might not suit up in, in, when they were wearing the 50s jerseys, no, but these, he did, and he played great. These concussion protocol measures are very lax from what it seems. I mean, Darnell was motionless on the field last week, and then he's out there this week. I mean, hey. I knew he would play if he could. He's yeah. so tough, and... Um, Good for him to play and play well. And Adrian Amos, six tackles, two pass breakups, one coming on fourth down in the end zone. So it, it, they played great. Uh, they continue to play great. Yeah, there were a few plays. Where I think one specifically where Amos flew across the field and broke up a pass, and uh, it was either on a third or a fourth down, and it was just an excellent play by Amos, who is a fantastic player. And the – one guy that we need to highlight as we close up this defensive segment here on the Week 7 edition of the Weekly Cheese is Devondre Campbell. I know we highlight him every single week, but after seven weeks of the 2021 NFL season, I don't know if it, you could say any middle linebacker has played better than Devondre Campbell. Yeah, He is somehow 
turned his himself. Maybe he's been it all along. I mean, I wasn't too familiar with Devondre Campbell until the Packers signed him. Uh, but he's been part of good defenses in the past. He's always been the second middle linebacker on these teams. And in his first chance as a as a mic'd linebacker calling the plays, Devondre Campbell is yeah playing phenomenal. And it, I mean, just to go back to what we were saying, the the disrespect shown by Arizona to not even offer him a contract. And I remember when we signed him. I take this for what it's worth, but I remember looking at the comment sections on Reddit and Arizona fans just like making fun of the fact that we signed Devondre Campbell. Like, ha ha, have fun with him. He's one of the best linebackers in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, like Larry McCarron said, this is a man playing possessed. He is mad that the entire league. Uh, looked him over. No one besides us was willing to give him a shot, really, to be a starting linebacker, which is just absurd to think about. I mean... The Packers won the lottery with signing Devondre Campbell and having him come in and play as well. 13 tackles, 10 solo on Sunday. He stuffed Heineke on the goal line. You said he's a man possessed. He's possessed by Ray Nitschke. He's everywhere over the field. He is everywhere. He is great in coverage. He, He... absolutely plants grown men into the ground when he's tackling these dudes underneath. And and it's a complete 180 from the type of play we've seen coming out of the Packers' middle linebacker unit over the past several years. I mean, it is tremendous what he is doing. Uh, He is a difference maker for this defensive unit, and he has emerged as the true leader of the defense. He is the guy on that defensive unit. He is so good. And he should be talked about as an all-pro potentially after seven games. Yeah, Devondre Campbell is just everywhere over the field. And the, where the Packers needed it the most, the weakest position on this team coming into the year was middle linebacker. And a yeah. guy signed during OTAs comes in and, and is playing like this. It's just so important to have him. I mean, with that group, I mean, now we signed Jalen Smith, but with some of the plays he's been offering – uh, you could see why Dallas wasn't so keen on keeping him at that salary. Yeah, and I mean he 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 whiffs on tackles left and right, so uh, it's just so important to have because it keeps guys like unfortunately uh, Ty Summers and Oren Burks keeps them sidelined and relegated to the special teams unit. Yeah, I mean Jalen Smith and he did have a nice play there on Sunday. Uh, I believe. Gibson was running the ball to the outside. But that's the thing with him. You'd think it's going to be a good play, and then he doesn't finish it. But he doesn't. turned him inside, and it, yeah. he did his job. He turned him yeah. in. They got Packers stuffed him for, I think, a gain of one. It was a good play by him. He didn't finish a play, but you could see that he's there. And as the second linebacker on the field, being spelled with Chris Barnes in there and yeah. Burks coming in. Because Burks is good at, for a couple snaps. I mean, he's been playing better this season than he has in years past. Um yeah, but it's great to see. I saw McDuffie uh, suited up on the sideline just just to mention McDuffie. I mean, hey, I mean, we're still thinking about you, bud. Yeah, we're thinking about <laughs> you, Isaiah McDuffie. It's good to see you out there. And uh, I and saw him celebrating, I believe, on a on a turnover. I believe he might have been out there and celebrating. Shout out to Nyman. Just we're thinking about you too, buddy. Yeah, we are. We're we know we're thinking. Hey, it, if Runyon keeps up these performances, they might have to kick you, kick Jenkins in to guard and put you back out at tackle, big man. It so might have to happen. You're totally just right. Keep there. on securing those chicken sliders for the O line, and we'll still love you. And Devondre Campbell, we'll be get, getting to see him on a uh, revenge game Thursday night. 
against the Arizona Cardinals. I didn't even think about that. I think he's going to have a monstrous performance. I hope to see him hug. A revenge game as well for Rasul Douglas. For (laughs) for Rasul, yeah. (laughs) Is there any other revenge factors going into this? I don't know. But I know that uh, there was a failed revenge game on Sunday <laughs> with uh, for Jay Sternberger, who you said you saw on the sideline of the Washington football team. Oh, no, I actually just saw that he was a, a healthy scratch for them, so uh, that goes to show what's up with him a, over there. A failed revenge game for Sternberger. Yeah. And you bring up Summers, and as we close this defensive segment here, we'll bring up uh, the Packers uh, on Sunday honored Bobby Dillon for uh, the, he, they put him in the ring of honor. They, uh, and with that, usually comes a Jersey retirement, if I'm not mistaken. Right, Mike? Well, I, yeah, I, I do believe so. I mean, most of the individuals who are up there in the Ring of Honor do have that Jersey retired, I I believe. But, um, no, I mean, this uh, 44 Jersey will be interesting yeah, to see. Yeah, because Ty Summers is currently wearing Bobby Dillon's number. And you if think, it were to be retired... You think they would strip the man of it in mid-season? I... I <laughs> I don't think Ty Summers has enough pull to uh, sway them in a different direction if they were to decide to strip him in the middle of the season. Let me just say that. I don't know if they would, but if they wanted to, they could. They certainly could, yeah. So Bobby Dillon, congrats to him. He was in the Centennial Hall of Fame class and uh, now now Packers Ring of Honor member to the late Bobby Dillon, who... Uh, who is who would be disgusted to see who is wearing his beloved <laughs> yeah, 44 yeah, yeah, nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he would not feel good knowing that Summers is uh, wearing his legendary 44. Um, the last note would just be Kenny Clark. I mean, He wasn't huge in the box score like he has been over the past several weeks, Kenny Clark, but he does so much for the Packers' defense. He's constantly plugging up holes, and he, he's, uh, he's the – He's the spearhead of the entire operation there at the nose tackle. Oh, yeah, and the, I guess we could say for the rest of the D-line, uh, Dean Lowry, great performance. Good to see him out there. And uh, Kingsley Kiki had a little bit of pressure. And Tyler Lancaster with his usual run-stuffing effort. He was. We are certainly Tyler Lancaster fans over here. Yeah, I will say that Lancaster was involved on the uh, oh, you're right. on the field goal block. The, 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 was, so yeah. on Sunday it was a, a weird game in the fact in the sense that both teams blocked a field goal back to back, and on the Packers on Mason Crosby's field goal that got blocked, uh, Lancaster seemed to have missed an assignment on the right edge, and Runyon got barreled through on the <laughs> interior. <laughs> Um, so two of our favorite players on the entire team did not have the brightest spot in terms of um, special teams blocking on that field goal attempt yeah. there. But with that being said, the Packers' special teams was improved on Sunday. Um, couple shout-outs on the special teams. They had their first blocked field goal in many, many years. T.J. Slayton was able to get in there with a nice push, get his hands on it. Uh, immediately when we noticed Slayton got his hands on it, I stated that there's no way he got too high off the ground. That he seems to be a grounded individual standing yes. at six four three thirty, um, very very limited by gravity. And he said after the game, he was talking to the so Rock so after the game. That. He said that he didn't jump at all. <laughs> he didn't, he and didn't in jump fact, at all. Yeah. He stated that he didn't even know what he he did. <laughs> He said that he just got in there, he stuck his hand up, he felt yeah. something hard smack his hand, and 
he started celebrating. Yeah, it was. Uh, he's had the first field goal block of his career. It was. Yeah, it was hilarious. If, if you get a chance, go watch T.J. Slayton's post game interview with The Rock. It was awesome. Uh, he literally. Yeah, yeah, he couldn't have been more like unaware that he that, <laughs> that he blocked the field goal. But hey, good for him. They probably teaching him now in special teams, the NFL, to get those big ass arms he had, yeah. get him up in the air, block that. Uh, whoever he was right next to had a chance to block it as well. Um, it might have been Kiki, but yeah, both of those guys were in there. They both had a chance to block it. Then, luckily, like you said, it hit the. The metallic black glove yeah. of that metallic. You can yeah. see the big paw come yeah, yeah. up in the his, air with the all glove. All you see is the, his ginormous black Mitt. Jordan glove come out of nowhere. Like you can't even see who it is. It's like there's a bunch of hands, and then out of nowhere the the black Jordan glove comes out of nowhere and then gets the finger on it. Then uh, yeah. who who runs out of that pile? It's T.J. Slayton, and he starts. Yeah, the yeah. Crowd to he said he was trying to hype him. everyone. Yeah. Up. <laughs> I love that guy. It was awesome. Man. It was awesome I, to see. I, I love that one more guy. note from the special teams. Bohorquez. A successful I saw a headline. Boho's mojo. <laughs> okay. That's what I saw was the headline, and and he coming off a week where he had the longest punt in Packers history. Bohorquez backed up in his own end zone, was able to boom one for sixty-two, flip the field, and then he followed it up. With a perfectly executed banana punt. Yeah, he got screwed, I think, on that placement because they, or maybe they did end up ruling it down. At they the, ruled it down oh, at the okay, three. They, they, Perfect. He did get initially screwed. Yeah, yeah. So then they, the refs, we just say quickly, the refs, it seems like every Packers game this year we have a horrible officiating crew. But uh, anyway, Bajorquez executed a perfect banana punt. Like we mentioned in the when we signed this guy like weeks ago, we mentioned in the in the podcast that he was going to be <laughs> implementing know, the banana punt. The banana punt, it's perfect implement implementation of the banana punt. It, it comes down where it lands like a the soft end of the banana peel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then, uh, you know, it worked out perfectly this time and. Uh, J.K. Scott could only dream of oh. the banana punt. Yeah, no. It's really nice to have an alpha punter, finally. <laughs> you know? since We haven't had an alpha an alpha punter since Tim Maste. Oh, Super and, Bowl champion. And uh, it's great to see Boho back there just rocketing the these Boho blast. bombs. So good for Bohorquez. Uh, ultimately, this win over the football team is one that everyone out there listening should feel good about. The defense came up with four consecutive red zone stops. They won the turnover battle. And on top of that, they dominated a very strong offensive line, sacked Heineke four times, and they did so without all of their best defensive players. Jair Alexander not in, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith. They were they were injured. They stepped up and they had momentum changing plays. They were op- opportunistic as a defensive unit. And on offense, although they could not run the ball to save their lives, and they don't have Bakhtiari or MVS, they dominated the the the, the Washington yeah. football team. They dominated them. Matt Lafleur said in his post game that it's a coach's dream to have be six and one and still have all these areas where you can improve. Because if you think about it, there's so much more where the Packers, there's so much more out there for them in terms of getting better, putting up even more points, and being better on defense. So that's just going to about do it here for this edition of the Weekly Cheese. 
Make sure you check in for the preview show where there's two very hot topics that I'd like to cover. First uh, being Greg Jennings Packers Hall of Fame induction. While I do believe it's warranted, I do feel like it's a little premature with how much of an ass he's been the last couple years. Yeah, we'll get into that. Uh, And then, I don't know if you saw, but Martellus Bennett has just been an absolute disgrace on on Twitter, bashing the Packers, bashing their... bashing the team doctors and everything that that guy with that whole situation is just such a joke so we're going to get into that on the pre uh pregame of the Cardinals uh, Thursday night. Yeah, on top of that, the, the Packers, they're going to be tested over the next several weeks. You got the Cardinals on Thursday, then they follow that up with the Chiefs and the Seahawks uh over the next 3 weeks. So that's we'll a get tough into all that. We'll talk again on Wednesday when we preview the matchup on Thursday night with the Arizona Cardinals. Until then, remember, as always, the cheese stands alone. And we'll talk to you next uh, on Wednesday, everyone. On, Have a good go, go Pack. pack.